This morning, um, I want to share with you that I have come to believe that the source of most of our problems in life are generated from the neck up. Anybody with me? It's the thoughts that come in our mind and the words that come out of our mouth. Would there be anyone in here bold enough to admit today that your words have gotten you into some kind of trouble in one time or another? Some of your hands are already raised all across. Oh, look at that. I'm so glad. Let's just give ourselves a round of applause. All right. So this sermon will be relevant. Okay. When you clap and laugh and things, it, it makes me do better. So I just want to warn you. Okay. So I, I heard once. There it was. I heard once about a husband who read an article to his wife about a woman who, um, they say women use 30,000 words per day, but men only use 15,000. And the wife replied, well, that's because we have to repeat everything to men. (laughs) Now, I won't confirm or deny whether that was a real life example. No idea if I read that or that actually happened in our home, but... (laughs) Um, But we must realize and understand that there is a great power carried by our thoughts and our words. And they're so powerful that they can bring either blessing or cursing into our life, depending on their nature. So in James, it talks about the tongue and the power of words. And I want you to look at the screen this morning. We're going to read James 3, 3 through 5. It says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. You know, our words may seem insignificant. This is what the scripture says. But they affect the very direction of our lives. For this month of July, we are starting a series called Word of Mouth, and you can see here we put the the new set up to just remind you that this whole month, we are going to take a deep dive into the words we say and how our speech literally affects the natural, but how it also affects the supernatural. So we're going to kick this series off talking about inviting words. Now, how many of you this summer have already invited someone to a picnic at your home? Raise your hand. Maybe a baseball game. You've invited somebody to a baseball game. Maybe you've invited them to the beach or to take a walk with you. Maybe you've invited someone somewhere and it rained. Anybody have that happen to you? It was like the entire month of June. You know, I made plans to go places and it kept raining. But the good news is you already have inviting words in your vocabulary. You know how to do this. So Thomas Rayner, the president of Lifeway, did a study And the study was that 82% of unchurched people are likely to say yes to an invitation to attend church. So if a friend, a coworker, a neighbor, or a family member invited them, that's more than 8 out of 10 would say yes. Gallup Research estimates that 43% of Americans, 135 million people, are unchurched. So if this research is even close to accurate then more than 110 million people would attend church if they were invited. Now, what's heartbreaking is that 2% of church members will never invite an unchurched person to worship. So can you imagine, let me go back to that, 
2% of church members will invite an unchurched person to worship. So that means 98% of people won't. Are you proud of my math, Joel? There it was. On the fly, too. So can you imagine (laughs) how many people could be reached for Christ if every church member in the United States just invited one person? So even if only 50% of them said yes to the invitation, that would double the number of Christians in our nation. How many of you would like to see that? Jesus is an inviting God. He is inviting God. And so as followers of Christ, if we want to represent his heart well, then we have to use inviting words often. We have to invite people into relationship with the Father. And so today, I want to center our conversation around a scripture that models how Jesus used inviting words. And we find it in John 4. So in John 4, Jesus left Judea, and he was heading back to Galilee. And in John 4, verse 4, it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. He used the word had. Now, there was a short road and a long road between Judea and Galilee. And the Pharisees, which were the religious of that day, always took the long road. They always took the long road. They went through Perea so that they would avoid contact with the Samaritans. But Jesus took the shorter road. And the short, the scripture implies that Jesus had to. He was compelled to. It may have appeared random, but it was all part of the master plan. And Jesus doesn't avoid the Samaritans. He doesn't avoid sinners. I love this about Jesus. Jesus doesn't, he takes the road straight to them. He takes the road straight. He brings the hope of salvation straight to sinners. How many of you are thankful that that's good news that Jesus doesn't avoid sinners? <laughs> because that would, that's good news for me. That's good news for you. Jesus takes the road right to sinners with the hope of salvation. And he comes to a certain town called Sychar and he sits down by a well. Now, to the disciples and to the people that are around him, they probably think this is kind of random, right? They think he's just randomly thirsty, he finds a well, he sits by it. But what Jesus knows that we don't know, but now we know, is that there was a particular woman that would come to this well at this time, and that this woman would come to the well around noon, which is a very strange time of the day. That is not the same time that other women would come that have families and husbands and and people to take care of. Most would come early in the morning in the cool of the day, and she came at noon. And what we know by the scripture is that because of the time that she came to the well, she was at the very bottom of the social ladder. But Jesus would know that this woman was coming. And so at noon, he would sit down by the well, and he already loved her deeply. She didn't even know he would be there. She didn't even know his name. But he already was setting himself up to have uh, an experience with him, an invitation, to have an opportunity to bring an invitation to her. And and he knew that she would be at the well at this exact time, and he stops there. The king of the universe, the, the god of all creation, goes to a well to meet this one woman. And I just really believe right now in this moment that God is speaking to someone in this room right now, reminding you that he sees you. And and he knows exactly where you are. And no matter what you have been walking through over these past months or years, you have not fallen off the radar for Jesus. That he is closer than you think, and he has come right into your situation, and he has sat down right at your well, and he is waiting to just have an encounter with you. 
Because this is what Jesus is always doing. He's positioning himself in strategic, inviting conversations. And he makes the well his sermon illustration. And he puts himself in this place where he says, I need a drink. So he can have, he can give this woman an opportunity to supply this drink for him so that he can say, I have what you really need. I have living water. I have salvation. Living water. And he explains to this woman that salvation is not moral attainment. It's not earning it. Because she is at the well at noon. She knows that she has, has not morally met all the standards or expectations of religiousness. And, and, and Jesus is saying, no, no, it's this matter of grace. And she never saw that before. She never grasped that before at the well. And in that moment, she gets it. She has this aha moment. She understands the core of Christianity. And John 4 just makes me think, what if every day we prayed that God would give us one well conversation, one strategic inviting conversation to share the hope of Jesus? What could happen for the kingdom? What could happen in this city? What, what could happen in this church? What could happen to the 43% of the unchurched in the United States? John 4 continues, and, and, and Jesus invites the woman into relationship with him, and he uses analogies that she will understand and inviting words. And I want to show you what happens um, in John 4, 28 through 29. It says, then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. What the scripture is saying is that the woman was excited. She was excited. In fact, she was so excited that she left her water jar beside the well and ran back into the village. She abandoned what she had come to the well for. And I think the water pot can represent many things in our lives today. It can represent our agenda. It can represent our schedule. It can represent our goal. And, and the woman was so excited because she just met the Messiah that nothing was even remotely close to important. She, she left everything behind to go tell people about the love of Jesus. Her entire goal that day was to bring this water pot, was to get well from the water, water from the well. But she knew that she had found something so much better. And I think we have to ask, ask ourselves the hard question of would we do that? Would we leave the water pot? In fact, do you do that in your everyday life? Now, are we so excited about the way that God has saved us and changed us that we would abandon anything, that we would abandon everything in exchange for living water? And the woman goes on to say, Come, she goes, she talks to anybody she can, and she says, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. And you know what's so interesting about that is this woman lived most of her life in secret. She lived most of her life sneaking around at night with men. That's what the scripture says. She, she lived most of her life hiding out so she wasn't embarrassed or ridiculed because she knew she was on the other end of the social ladder. And the fact that Jesus reads her mail and knows what she spent her life doing in the dark makes this woman undone. I mean, she, she cannot believe that he knows because then, unlike everyone else she ever met, as soon as he, she realizes he knows every single thing that she has done, Jesus doesn't reject her. Jesus loves her. 
Jesus offers her something that would bring wholeness and healing and renewal and a fresh start. And she must have been so amped and so overwhelmed and so excited about this invitation of Jesus that she couldn't even contain it. You know, she was not a leader. People didn't follow her. In fact, she was an outcast of the city, yet her excitement must have been so real. The scripture says people left what they were doing and followed her toward Jesus. I am so convicted by this woman's actions when I read this in John 4, because when it comes to inviting people to church, when it comes to inviting people into a conversation about faith, let's be honest, sometimes we're a little bit like this. Right? I'm really excited. Do you want to come? I mean, yeah, it's okay. Sometimes it's good. Seats are good. We get there quick. If the traffic isn't bad, you know, not sure. And we need to have a genuine excitement that when we are inviting people to encounter Jesus, here's the thing, check your pulse. <laughs> like, here's the idea. This woman left her water pot. She ran back into her city because the truth is one encounter with Jesus made her realize her past didn't have to define her, that she was free, that she was forgiven. One encounter with Jesus and the trajectory of our life can completely change. Anybody out there, is that how you have felt? One encounter with Jesus, God is the restorer, God is the redeemer, God is the way maker. The truth is when the doctor says it's impossible and there is no cure, God says, no, I am the great physician, right? The truth is that when we, when we have things that took years to, to break us down and cause pain and heartache in our life, one minute in the presence of God can heal us to completion. The truth is that our encounters with God are things that give us purpose. They, they help our, our life not feel like we're chasing after the wind without fulfillment. The truth is God is our great hope. And like we sang just a few moments ago, that his name has no rival, his name has no equal, that he is the name above all names. And we look like grumpy cat when we ask people to come to church with us. And the Holy Spirit of God just convicted me when I read that scripture because this woman said with excitement, no one wanted to follow her. No one probably even knew her name, but she left everything she was doing and she ran back to her village with the excitement of who Jesus is and said, come and follow me. And she must have been convincing enough because people, the scripture says, came out toward Jesus. So if you believe that Jesus Christ is the restorer and the redeemer and the way maker, then your inviting words should be excited. You should be excited. And when we invite people into relationship with Jesus, when we invite them to church, it needs to reflect the excitement of the truth of our God. And John 4, the disciples come and they find Jesus talking to this woman and they're shocked, they're confused, they don't understand why is he wasting his time on this particular woman, she's unimportant, there's, there's surely much more strategic things she could be do, he could be doing. And Jesus addresses them in John 4, 35 and says, don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes, look at the fields, they are ripe for harvest. Now Jesus is reminding the disciples that the work of the kingdom of God is urgent 
He says, open your eyes, look at the fields. The fields are meaning the hearts of the people. Harvest has a timing. Harvest has an urgency. If you don't pick the crops at a certain time, the crops go bad. I don't know a lot about farming or, or gardening, but that's what I do know. That there's a sweet spot, right? You pick it too early, it's not good enough. You pick it too late, it goes bad. And so harvest has this urgency and this timing. And what Jesus is saying is that the heart of God is not passive. It's not passive. It's not, hey, um, here's the message of Jesus. Come get it if you want it. It's not, uh, we'll just stay right here. And if you have questions, you know where to find us. The heart of God is not passive. Luke 19.10 actually tells us that the entire purpose of Jesus coming to earth is to seek and save the lost. That was Jesus' mission. That was his marching orders from the Father. And God asks us to be part of that strategy. So what is our purpose if we want to be like Jesus? to seek and to save the lost. John 1.14 says it this way from the message translation. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And we saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. Jesus moves into the neighborhood to seek and to save the lost, and his heart burns for those who don't know him yet. And when we have that same heart, we are exemplifying Jesus in the best possible way. And so this first week, we're talking about inviting words. And inviting words need to carry both excitement and urgency. Excitement and urgency. I'm praying right now that, that the Holy Spirit of God is bringing to mind people in your life that you have thought for a long time, man, I should talk to them about the Lord, or I should invite them to church. And you haven't. And that God gives you an urgency about it that you can't even continue through your week until you do that. Jesus goes on to explain in John 4, 36 through 38, he, he's talking about this harvest and he's saying, listen, even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. And what he's teaching here is that not all conversations will be instantaneous conversions. Oftentimes, as we, we want like, hey, I talked to them about it, and now they're coming. Or, hey, I talked to them about it, and now they're, 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 they're saved, or, or now they understand Jesus. But you know what? Every attempt at sharing the gospel may not end up the way you picture it in your mind. And you may even feel like you're wasting moments. But here's the deal. You may get discouraged, but Jesus said, every seed we plant, everything that we do, he uses. Every, there's a time to reap, and there's a time to sow. And what he's reminding us is every inviting word that we speak, every seed we plant, he uses. You do your part faithfully, and God will do his part. God will do the work of the redeeming. That is the work that he does best. We don't know who invested in the woman at the well before she came that day. We don't know how many conversations she had about spiritual things. The scripture doesn't record that. It could have been her first conversation about spiritual things, or it could have been several conversations, and other people could have been frustrated that she hadn't come to faith yet. We don't know, but we must do our part. We must sow the seeds and sow the seeds because God himself will bring the harvest. Now, Jesus um, was only on earth for 33 years and only in public ministry for three years. And he models for us what he wants us to do. And so we're to do what 
what he wants us to do. And too often, I think um, we get kind of stuck when we're thinking about evangelism and we're thinking about inviting words, we get stuck on it has to be something big. It has to be something really, really big. We get caught up and we get stuck on that. We, we, we blast our social media with invitations to everyone. We want everyone to know, so we'll just put a, we'll put a call out there to, to everyone. Or we wait until we have uh, like a huge event uh, to, to invite anyone to. We'll just wait until we have this huge event. And these aren't bad ideas. In fact, I do some of these myself, but it cannot be the primary way that you share your faith. I said this a few years ago, and, and, and I'm going to say it again today, but I just, I hereby declare every Sunday, invite your friend Sunday, okay? Don't wait for us to make that the conversation. Every week, everybody, every single week. You don't have to wait for the church to have a special event because Jesus is the special event, and he is here every week. He is here every week, and his presence is here and the Holy Spirit is here, and he's just waiting for us to take steps to be changed. You know, Jesus and the disciples did not spend time trying to draw a crowd. They had conversations with people that they met. They went after the one, and they led people to faith, one by one by one. Have you ever wondered why God has you live where you live? Have you ever wondered why God has you work where you work or, or why some lady uses the treadmill next to you at the gym every single morning? Or why that one waiter is always working even you, though you go at all different times to your favorite restaurant? Hello, Holy Spirit. <laughs> That's what's happening is that Jesus is doing that. Jesus is setting you up. I've had times where I've seen the same person three or four times in different environments. Has ever happened to you? You see him in Walmart, and then all of a sudden you see him down at, at the, they're in front of you to get ice cream at the beach, and then they're somewhere else, and you're going, this is ironic. And God's going, hello, like, do I need a hammer on your head? I, I am, I'm setting up these conversations for you because I want you to have conversations of faith with one person, one life at a time. That is the faithful work of the believer. And that is what Jesus is showing us in John 4. He sits down at the well, and the time that the disciples are saying, why are you wasting your time? And Jesus is saying, oh, no, no. This is how it works, you see. I love one person at a time. And let's see what happens. We see in the scripture how Jesus' strategy is, is brilliant. It is not wasteful, it's brilliant. In John 4, 39 through 42, it says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. And so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed for two days. And because of his words, many more believers, uh, because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. So just one conversation that Jesus had, and this whole city of Sychar heard the gospel. And you know what's so beautiful about this story? Is that the person who God chose to use, the person who shared the most vibrant hope 
with the whole town. It wasn't the king. It wasn't the governor. It wasn't the priest. The person that Jesus sought after to be the missionary to Sychar was the most unlikely outcasted woman who had five husbands. And what Jesus wants us to see here is that your past sin doesn't disqualify how God can use you to change an entire city's future. And what he's saying is, Jesus, Jesus never even entered the town, but the whole town was changed because the woman at the well used inviting words, and she was excited, and she was urgent, and she just went and exemplified the heart of God. She just said, this is the heart of God. He, he, he saw me to the very depths of who I am, and he loved me anyway. And when people saw that genuine change, they ran to find him. So do you want God to use you in a big way? Do, do you want to change this city? I was hoping you'd cheer right now, so let's just do that right now. Okay, yes, right? You want God to use you in a big way. You want to be a life full of purpose, a life full of, full of eternity change. Here's how you do it. Open your mouth and invite people into relationship with Jesus. That's it. Let Jesus do the rest. Now, I said a few moments ago, you don't have to wait for a special event to use inviting words. You can live in this scripture every, every day of the whole year. It leaves us without excuse. But as a church, we do know that it's helpful when there's something non-threatening to invite friends and family to, especially maybe those who don't have church background or aren't used to uh, this kind of worship. And so what we've done is we have three outreach Saturdays. Pastor Don talked about this uh, coming up this month. July 13th, and then July 20th, and then the last Saturday in July. These are our summer cookouts. And we go to three different neighborhoods, and we, we set up snow cones and face paint and bounce houses and, and music and food. And, and we go to these neighborhoods, and our hope is that you would bring your family, and then you would use inviting words to ask someone to come with you. Perhaps someone who doesn't have faith. Perhaps someone who, who maybe was part of a faith community at one time for a while, but isn't anymore, that something has gotten them off track, maybe a, an offense or maybe just a life stage. Or maybe someone you aren't even sure where they stand with God. This is such a great opportunity to invite people to this, to, to meet people that are of like mind, that have faith, to make relationships so that you can open the door to invite them into relationship with Jesus. And so I'm asking you this morning with excitement and with urgency, exemplifying the heart of God, will you invite someone to these cookouts? That's what, I, that's what the action step is today. And in fact, on your way out, there's invitations for all three weeks. They're at the exit doors. Make sure you stop. Take as many cards as you want. We'll print more. We want you to be intentional. Okay, so please don't just take a picture of the invitation and put it on your Facebook. You can do that, but don't just do that. All right, pray and ask Jesus, who is it? Who is that one person that you want me to invite? And you know what? Statistically, some of you are numbers people, 82% of people that you ask will say yes. So you may, you may think, I'll ask them, but they'll never say yes. And then I hope they shock you. <laughs> That's my prayer. And all of a sudden, you're thinking, I got to get a van to go to this cookout. Because everyone I asked said yes. Today we're gonna end in just a moment in communion. And, and if you're here today and you don't have a personal relationship with God, I wanna tell you that you can have the same experience of grace and truth that this woman had at the well. 
Maybe when you are listening to John 4, you're more relating with the woman at the well. You're, you're relating to the fact that Jesus came and, and met her at the well. And in case today no one has ever told you directly, I want to do that right now, that it's not about moral attainment. You can't earn it. But you are saved by grace. And Jesus Christ looks to the bottom of who you are. And he knows everything wrong about you. But he loves you anyway. And he has paid the greatest price. And he wants your heart. And so as we're taking communion today, if you want to pray with someone to accept Jesus as your savior today, before you take communion, you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus before you take communion. I want you to come down to these tables, as Pastor Quint mentioned, to my right and to my left. There'll be a prayer team there. Um, they would just love to talk with you, just pray with you, help you process the step that you feel like God is asking you to take. So I'm gonna pray right now. And if that's you, I want you to, to move toward the table. And then I'm gonna ask Pastor Don to come and lead us in taking communion. Father God, I thank you so much that you showed us the gospel message so clearly through the scripture in John 4 is that you, you, you remove all obstacles so you can get to us. And God, once you do, when you find us, you look into the depths of all that we are and you love us anyway. And Lord, you offer and you extend this forgiveness through Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross. And Lord, we are so thankful. And as we take communion here in a few moments, I pray that we could remember that you did that for us, those of us that have come into relationship with you. And God, I pray for those in this room whose hearts are burning right now, God, that they would not avoid the invitation any longer, that they would accept the invitation that you are offering so freely and so boldly to them. Lord, that they would accept your invitation to come into relationship with you. God, we love you. We're so thankful for who you are. And we want to go from here with exciting and urgent words to share the message of hope, to seek and to save the lost, as that is your mission, God, that we would have that too. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.